All right, uh, go ahead and open up to Psalm 15. Psalm 15. This morning we're going to be looking at the true worshiper. Um, in every um, thing that we do, every part of life, there's always an, an expected standard to either be met or lived by. Um, and I want to give you a little example of that. So I like history a lot. I'm not um, a brain when it comes to history, but I enjoy history and historical things. Um, and, and one of the things that I enjoy um, is, I don't know a lot about it, but I enjoy it, um, is military history. And um, I've had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. a couple of times, and my, one of my favorite things about going to um, the Capitol, um, not the Capitol building, but the nation's capital, is always to go to Arlington. Um, and one of the most fascinating things about Arlington for me is the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And I started doing a little bit of research, ADD brain, on the tomb guards and, and what it takes for them to get to where they are. Um, it's extremely rigorous. Um, now, applying to be a tomb guard is pretty simple. You walk into the tomb guard barracks at Arlington, you knock on the door, and you say, I want an application, and they give it to you. Um, but there are a lot of stipulations. You have to be around a certain height. Um, you don't necessarily have to be a certain weight, but you have to be around a certain size. Um, you have to be extremely intelligent, um, and I'll get to that in a, in a minute. Um, you have to be extremely disciplined. You have to have a very clean record. Um, you have to be from the 3rd Infantry Division. No other division in any military can be. You have to be from what they call the Old Guard. Um, they are very rooted in their tradition. But once you get that application, you begin to fill it out. Um, and, and most of the applicants will kind of move on to the next phase. Um, after that, however, um, they begin to drop like flies. Uh, becoming a tomb guard is actually the second most rare military badge that you can receive. Number one is becoming an astronaut. Um, they've only been given out 600 and some odd tomb guard badges in history. Um, the testing is outrageous, again. Um, the discipline is insane. Um, the training is, is very staunch. Um, they work very long shifts. Um, even the detail of their uniform, they have to master their uniform. They actually wear common uh, military blue dress uniform. Um, they do not wear rank on their uniform because they don't know the rank of the unknowns. Um, but, interesting fact, the unknowns were given all the Medal of Honor so they can wear whatever medals they have received because that is the highest medal achievement. So they can wear all their medals, but they don't wear rank. But when they place those on their... Sorry, forget I'm wearing this thing instead of the headset. Um, when they place their medals on their uniform, they have to be within 1 64th of an inch into a precise location or they get docked points. Um, when they're testing, there's a 35-page manual of the history and details of Arlington National Cemetery that they have to memorize, including punctuation. And when they test, they have very little room for error. Um, so they, they go through all of this testing. Um, they have to live to a certain standard. Even the, the amount of time they serve as a tomb guard 
um, is usually only one to one and a half years. There have been some that have went longer, um, but not many. Um, uniform, their shoes. Uh, have you ever? Has anybody ever not seen tomb guards? Okay, everybody has. You've never seen, not even any images. Oh, you should go up and look it up on YouTube. It'll change your life. Their shoes are as shiny as it gets, right? They look like patent leather shoes, but they're actually completely 100% leather, and they spend a minimum of four hours spit-shining, kiwi polish-shining their shoes to get them that shiny. Um, there's a very strict policy on uniform. Um, even before they go out, um, there's a, another officer standing right there with them with a lint brush. Any touches that they gathered from the time they dress till the time they make it to the door, they clean it. They spray their gloves to keep them damp so they don't slide. Um, the only fluctuation in gloves is when the temperature is too cold or raining. They wear black leather gloves at that point. So nothing ever changes. It's exactly the same. They are issued the exact same um, uniform. They're only issued one pair, so they're in charge of cleaning and preparing it every round. They're on their own, um, but they are, are typically issued about one every nine outings because they fade that bad um, from just the strenuous nature of it. But anyway, the dedication that they have and then the commitment that they make when they are no longer serving as tomb guards, they typically will go on to another area um, of service. A lot of them will go into active duty. Um, a lot of them will fight in wars after they serve as tomb guards, um, but they have to make very strict commitments. Um, any type of um, crime or anything that they're um, convicted of immediately calls them to have their badges removed and they will never get it back. Um, you can actually go onto the tomb guard website and it'll list all of them and there are some of them you will get down and it says revoked and it doesn't give you their name or any information. Um, they make a commitment to no alcohol for the rest of their lives. They, I mean it is, it is insane, um, a standard that they strive to do and it's all voluntary. No one is selected, it's completely voluntary. Um, and watching reports and watching and listening and reading of um, servicemen and women who have served as tomb guards declared an honor um, to take that type of stance for the rest of their life. Now, when it comes to walking the Christian life, we, we don't necessarily hold ourselves to that kind of standard. <laughs> you know, so why is it that we can hold ourselves to that type of standard to serve um, the unknowns, but um, not even the everyday life of serving the one true God. In, in Psalm 15, um, we see David kind of posing a question that's meant to search the hearts of would-be worshipers and, and really ask, well, what or who is a true Worshipper, And the main idea of Psalm 15 that we'll be in today is this, that a true worshiper searches his heart and daily strives to walk in holiness as he holds fast to the promise of hope in God. I'm going to pray for us. It's a very short psalm, and then we'll work through it together um, because it does have an interesting layout, and we will begin to dive in. Our Father, um, how... Gracious it is of you to give us your word. And now as we open your word together, we ask that through your spirit you would speak. 
God, there are passages that encourage. There are passages that convict. There are passages that call to action. There are passages that give hope. And Father, this text is one that really calls us to question. Not question in the terms of your existence, but we question in what is the nature and condition of our heart. And it begins to really dig into the root of especially those of us who call, call ourselves Christians. Are we or are we not true worshipers? Are we saying we are and living differently, or are we saying we are and living that way? So God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would bring conviction where it needs to be, that you would bring hope where it needs to be, you would bring encouragement where it needs to be, you would call to action where we need to be called to action. We ask that you would do all of this for the glory of your name and the good of those of us who are gathered here. So we ask that you would bless the reading of your word, and that we be filled with joy in hearing So may you speak by your spirit living in me the words of truth that you have prepared us to hear today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So what is a true worshiper? Uh, Says the Psalm of David. Simple. A simple description. Um, There's a lot of um, belief that this was actually kind of a call to worship, like from a liturgical style, like preparing hearts for worship. Um, And so it's simply a psalm of David, and he begins by posing again this question that searches the hearts of of who are true worshipers. Um, Now, again, we we live in a culture, and I'm not saying worldly culture, I'm specifically pointing to the Christian culture, a culture who has lost sight of what it means and what it appears to look like to live lives that are holy. So understanding the holiness of God. I mentioned last week um, that I had come across an article, a quote that said the best, it might have been Sunday night when I mentioned it, I don't remember, um, that the best missions sermons are always sermons not about missions, but they're about God. So our view of God reflects to everything else. So the way we see God, the way we understand God changes everything. And now when it talks about um, what is a true worshiper, it all is about our view of God. And so if our lives are not appearing to be holy, then we obviously have a skewed view of what it means for God to be holy. We don't understand holiness as it is. Um, I know we've preached entire sermons on the holiness of God, but just a quick reminder, there is no um, there is no description of God in Scripture that compares to His holiness. Holiness is the only one that is spoken in a three-time um, way, and it does it twice in Isaiah 6 and then in Revelation. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, and then in Revelation, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So their angels are ascribing to the Lord's holiness, declaring the Lord's holiness. So the holiness of God is extremely important. And it's the standard by what we 
judge our lives on. Um, this past week, I've kind of just made myself carve out time to read um, a book that's been on my nightstand for a long time now, um, and it's the first volume of Charles Spurgeon's biography. And he spends an entire chapter talking about um, the trials and tribulations of him coming to faith. He spent five years just battling the truths of Scripture, battling this knowing that he should submit to Christ, but he just couldn't get there and just the, the turmoil that he was facing dealing with his own sin and dealing with the holiness of God and, and, and kind of the way he referred to a lot of it was he was not a terrible person by cultural standards, by morality standards. He was actually viewed as the good guy. But he was just dying inside as he compared himself to a holy God. And, and I just don't think we understand that today as Christian culture once did. And part of that, I think, plays itself out in the way we live. We, we go around, we parade our freedoms, and we are free to do a lot more than um, a legalistic culture has told us we could in the past. But we parade those freedoms around, but we don't necessarily parade those freedoms in thankfulness to God, but we do so more out of a spirit of rebellion because we know we can. And that is begin to twisting in our heart. And we don't do it because we believe and we're thankful to the holiness of God. We do it because we just simply want to. And we want to do it because it bucks society. We, we don't want to be labeled legalists, so we go the opposite direction and we begin to push back in whatever means possible. And, and we become almost prideful in the grace of God. And... The question that we have to constantly be asking ourselves and the question that David is really posing here is are we living lives worthy of our calling? If, if we claim to be people of God, are we living as people of God? If we go to so-and-so in town and we begin to, to say, yes, I'm a Christian, are they going to believe it or not? Do we live lives that reflect the nature and character of God? And again, there's such a fine line here between um, legalism and um, just the complete opposite, right? But we have to understand what it means to live a holy life, and we can only understand that by looking at the holiness of God. If we have a high view of God, we're going to have a high view of His holiness, and our lives are going to reflect that. If our lives are not reflecting a holy God, then we don't have a very good view of God. It's our view of God that changes everything else. So we should ask again, are we striving for holiness? Are we striving to be people who live in the characteristic of Jesus, all while trusting Him to lead us and to provide for us? I mean, if we're trying to provide and, and do our own way, our, our own thing, our own way, and you know, we're not really given um, much room for God to work, are we actually trusting in Him? I mean, that, that's a good question to ask. You know, we, we're people who try to accomplish and achieve everything completely on our own, and then we boast about it once we do, but that, is that actually trusting in the Lord? You know, if God calls us to do something... Are we going to do it? Think about the story of the rich young, rich young ruler. He had all he wanted. 
right? And, I mean, so in terms of American culture, he, he was it, right? He had achieved the American dream. He had all he had, all he could ever want, and, and he had it to excess, right? And so God said, you know, he asked God, what should I do to, or he asked Jesus, so God, um, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, sell all you have, give it to poor, and come follow me. And he couldn't do it. He was not willing to trust in the leading and the provision of the Lord. I was reading in Matthew, the calling of the disciples. It's so amazing to me. Jesus is walking around. He comes up to you know, these disciples, and they're doing their thing, their career. And he says, leave it. Let's go. Follow me. And they do it. They just drop everything and follow Jesus. That's trusting in Jesus because they see a picture and an image of who God is. And so David begins to ask the question, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Or who shall live in the midst of your sanctuary? Who shall come in to your sanctuary? And begins to examine the heart of those who are coming to worship. Is it genuine? Are we coming to worship with a genuine heart? Are we coming to seek after God? Are we coming to worship God? Are we coming to feel the presence of God, or are we coming to check off some number of boxes? That it's a social thing to do, that it's a good thing for our business, that it's a good thing because our family wants us to do it, or we want to keep up a certain image, or whatever. Are we coming to simply encounter Christ? Why are we coming? O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your sanctuary. And it really moves us to begin to search our hearts, doesn't it? To begin to question, what is my motive? What is my motive for being here? What is the reason that I gather with the saints? Now, what this doesn't mean is that we can't come to church without or with our bag. Right, let me start over. This doesn't mean we can't come to church with baggage, because we all got baggage, right? It's all about the motive of our heart, the purity of our heart. Am I coming knowing that I desperately need God? Remember last week we touched base, a little, or touched a little bit onto the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Part of that poor in spirit is understanding our desperate need for Jesus, our understanding that we can't do this alone, that I need someone else, and that someone else can't be my spouse, it can't be my kids, it can't be my friends, it can't be you. It has to be God to bring me to redemption. Now we need each other to walk purposefully and, and accountably the Christian life that God has set us apart. But when it comes to salvation, we can only rely on Jesus for that. But it's about purity in heart. Because we all got problems, we all got a past, we all have history, we're all dealing with stuff. Are we trusting the Lord? Are we walking in a way that would honor and glorify Him? Are we attempting to live lives that are holy? He goes on, he says, Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Again, just further searching the hearts of those who would be gathered worshipers. In other words, again, he's asking, Who's the true worshiper? And he'll spend the next four verses going through these positive and negative characteristics to really dig and, and kind of cover the gamut. 
I mean, because if we simply start and end with that first question, most of us probably would say, yeah, I'm good, I'm here for the right reason. Of course we're going to say that, right? I mean, we're not going to admit that we're not here for the right reason. And so he doesn't stop, but he begins to dig deeper and, and begin to poke and prod at our hearts to see what is the true answer. And I think the, the challenging thing for us here now this morning is as we go through these characteristics, we have to be honest about these. Right? Internally, we have to ask ourselves, am I living up to this? Am I honoring God this way? Or does this describe me in more of a negative light? So as we walk through these characteristics of what a true worshiper is, let's search our hearts. So he goes into these characteristics And again, we need to remember as the basis of all of this that holiness is the primary issue here. Stephen Lawson says this, he says, Personal holiness in the life of a believer is a prerequisite for worshiping God. So in order for me to worship God, I need to understand who I'm worshiping. And as I'm understanding who I'm worshiping, it's changing who I am. So it begins in verse 2 with three positive characteristics starts he who walks blamelessly that's someone who's strong in character who is trustworthy he's dependable he mirrors as best as possible the nature of Jesus someone and and, and, again this doesn't mean you're going to be perfect ain't none of us perfect but there's a sense of striving. Now, the kicker behind all of these, and, and you, you have to remember this, right? Because ultimately we all fail in every one of these characteristics, okay? Is what is the heart behind it? Are we, are we doing it to check a box or are we doing it to honor God, right? Because there's a vast difference there. We can do it so others can see us as holy or we can do it so God sees us as holy, right? Now, if we've trusted Christ, God sees us as holy, and He calls us to walk in a way that would bring honor and glory to Him, right? And 1 Peter says, Be holy, for I am holy. So we are to walk in the holiness of God as we see the holiness of God and let it shape and mold who we are. So He begins, He who is a true worshiper walks blamelessly. How's your integrity? Are you trustworthy? Are you dependable? If somebody asks you to do something and you agree to it, are you going to do it? Are you going to hold your word? And it says a true worshiper does what is right. It means you rely on the justice of God. You're, you're just in your ways. You, you treat people equally and fairly. Um, your deeds reflect the character of God. Are you a snake? You know, Do people see you and ask questions like, you know, what's, what's really your motive here? Are you doing this for your benefit or are you doing this for the benefit of others, right? Are you, are you serving out of the character of God or are you serving from your own character and selfishness? The true worshiper speaks truth in his heart, right? If we are to love, we have to speak truth. But we do it in a way that is compassionate and that is humble, right? It's gracious in speech, I mean, because if we're real about it, we all need the truth spoken to us. And if we love, then we should all be speaking the truth, right? 
But if we're really honest, we also understand we don't have all the answers. Like, my ways are not perfect. Like, the things that I believe in, and I'm not talking, I'm not even talking about Scripture, I'm talking about the way that I live my life, the things that I hold dear, the things that I think are a good way of living may or may not be the best for everybody, right? But I have to have some humility there, my opinions, right? And we live in a world where, man, everybody bashes everybody's way of doing things because we think our own way is the right way or the only way, you know? Every day, if you turn on social media, you see this all day, every day, and it just makes you want to vomit. I mean, people say, this is what should be going on, and somebody will be like, no, this is what should be going on, and, you know, more than likely both of both y'all are wrong. So, you know, you just fuss at people and you gripe at people, and instead of mirroring what does Scripture saying, and am I living in Scripture, we're just so prideful in, our, in the way we carry ourselves. So the true worshiper speaks truth in his heart. Then he goes to three negatives. The true worshiper does not slander with his tongue. That means he's not gossiping. He's not having prayer meeting, which are nothing more than gossip sessions, right? You see that all the time. Like people, oh, what's going on? I want to pray for you. <laughs> no, you, you just want to know what's going on so you can tell somebody else. I mean, sometimes you really want to pray for somebody, but how often is it that we start digging and poking and prodding because we want to know the dirt? It's not gossiping. It's not going around saying, can you believe what so-and-so did? Man, I can't believe it. And we're murdering people with our tongue. Part of this is, you know, you, you treat and you speak of others with dignity and respect regardless of the differences you have, Right? I mean, because if we didn't, we would probably all be dead, right? Because we all disagree on something. Again, turn on Facebook. It don't take long. Within the first five minutes, you've seen somebody arguing about something, right? Every day. But we don't treat people with dignity and respect because we don't see people created in the image of God. Several years ago, I read a book called Compelled by Love, and it was really talking about the way of, of ministry and, and the way of the Christian um, to, to proclaim the gospel and live in light of the gospel because of being compelled by love. And one of the things that gripped me in that was beginning to see people the way that Christ would see them. You know, our tendency is to walk into a room or to walk into a store or, or whatever and, and we encounter people and, and we immediately make judgments. And we immediately flock to certain groups and we immediately run from others because of whatever preferences without actually seeing that all of these people, regardless of if we agree with them or the way they carry themselves or the way they act, ultimately they're all made the same way we are in the image of God and we are all sinners desperately needing the saving grace of God. Right? Are we treating people in that light? Are we compelled by love the love of Jesus, the same love that loves us, to love others. But the true worshiper does not slander with his tongue. The true worshiper also does no evil to his neighbor. I mean, Jesus himself says, love your neighbor as yourself. And when you really begin to dig in that, that's deep, right? Because we don't love anything more than we love ourselves. 
if we're honest about it. We, we want ourselves to be taken care of more than anything. You know, and then as God works in us, that begins to change. But am I loving other people in a way that Christ loved me? Am I using wisdom in the way that I speak and love other people as to bring them life? instead of harm. True worshiper doesn't take up a reproach against his friend. We can speak the truth in love, but ultimately we have to remember that justice is in the hands of God. So instead of bashing others and trashing others, we should offer to, li- offer to lift them up and to serve them. Again, if we didn't love and serve, if we only loved and served the people we agreed with, we wouldn't do anything. Right? I mean, because even in a room of this size, there's so many things that we would all disagree on. Right? I mean, there's certain things we'll agree on, but there's probably a lot more we disagree on than there are things we agree on. And then at the end of the day, we have to love one another regardless of those things. Right? And then he moves on to verse 4. Back into three positives. True worshiper in whose eyes a vile person is despised. It rejects the evildoer. Or, as we see in Psalm 1, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, it's not saying that we don't love the sinner. We should desperately love people who are far from God. But I believe what this is speaking to more of anything is to the person who constantly rejects the grace of God. We just at some point say, God, you can do this. I can't. And if it is sucking us down into a vacuum of darkness, then we step back and we trust the Lord to do it. And that's not an easy thing to do sometimes because sometimes that's people we love dearly. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's great friends. The true worshiper honors those who fear the Lord. Now, this would almost seem like common knowledge, but it really plays into a lot of what the others do. Um, Do I love and respect God's people to a point to where it's okay if they disagree and I can still love them? What are the words that are coming out of my mouth? Are they speaking life? Or are they murdering? We should be driven as a people who give grace and speak grace because we understand humbly who we are and we see how much God loves us despite us. Um, Again, there's no one person in here more messed up than the person you're sitting beside 
you know, we don't want to think about it like that. But, I mean, if you are honest, you start thinking about how corrupt you are, well, the next person is just as corrupt. I mean, it might be in a different way, but that's what it is. We're all sinners. We all desperately need the saving grace of God to, to come into our lives and to wash us white as snow. So why look at someone else any differently? When we begin to look at people in a different light, it's because we have forgotten what grace is. We've forgotten what God has done for us. So we should honor those who fear the Lord. Give them grace. The true worshiper also is one who swears to his own hurt. Now, this is all about accountability here. It's, it's an understanding that we desperately need each other to make it through the difficulties of life. Now, uh, now if you have missed it over the last eight years of me saying it, but the Christian life is not going to be easy. It's going to be harder than if you were not following Christ. But one of the joys is knowing that we have hope in Him, that He does make all things new, and that we have brothers and sisters who are walking through many of the same trials and tribulations along with us. This is why church membership is so important. This is why it is so important to be in constant fellowship with the body. Because there's nobody that can walk with you through the trials and the tribulations of life and the plagues and of sin and just the rampant evilness that abounds than someone who believes in Christ as you do. I mean, you can turn to worldly wisdom and it's going to give you an answer, but that answer is only going to lead to more pain and more sorrow. And it's going to lead you down a road that takes you further and further and further away from Christ. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, I encourage you to do so, and that will give you a very clear indication of what I'm talking about. He's constantly, 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 can't talk this morning. Told you, Jim, it wasn't going to happen. I could not get out my words this morning, couldn't remember anything. That's what happens when I don't eat, I guess. Um, yep. Anyway. He's constantly being faced with people who are trying to take him off of the path of seeking Christ. Um, instead of running toward yonder wicked gate, all these things are trying to pull him away. So if you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, you need to. And if you don't like Old English, you can find it in a modern updated version. Ain't nobody going to judge you for that. It's okay. The hard, it's hard. I get it. But we need each other. I've told you, you, if you've been in my house, you've seen the sticker. It's been on my bathroom window for a couple of years, but, and, and it'll stay there probably until we change that mirror out because I've pulled it off now. it probably mess it up anyway. But um, It just simply says we need one another to carry out the mission of God. And that's so true. That's so true. Um, we desperately need each other as we rest in Christ. And, and when we do so, we also have to be humble about it, right? We have to check our pride because, again, our ways, our thoughts, our views are not inerrant. They're not. 
And, and so often, many of us, and I'm talking about many of us in this room, I'm not just talking about generalities, I'm talking about us, we have this tendency to just look down and, and, and bite each other's head off about something that we hold so dearly, and it could be something so minor. So we have to honestly search our hearts. Now moving on to verse 5, or check that, the, the end of verse 4, moving into verse 5, we get into three more negatives. So this is the joys of Hebrew poetry, right? Sometimes from an English perspective, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, why didn't he just list all the positives and then all the negatives? But, but this is how Hebrew poetry works. And, and so it's back and forth, back and forth. But then we get into these negatives at the very end of verse 4. It says, the true worshiper does not change. Now, what this means is that we should be consistent. But our consistency has to be driven and guided by the word of God. So consistent in what we believe and consistent in what we say, excuse me, and consistent in what we do, as long as those things are a mirror of God's word. Because, man, we'll, we'll take a belief, we'll take an opinion, and we'll take it to our grave, and we'll be militant about it. But how often are those beliefs and opinions actually rooted in Scripture? Or are they just because that's what we believe? But even more, how often do we negatively look and speak of people who don't hold to those views and opinions because they don't agree with us? The only things worth dividing over are the things that Scripture says are definitives. Right? Who do we believe Jesus is? Do we believe that he is God in the flesh? Do we believe that he is part of a Trinitarian God who loves us deeply and cares for us and is seeking to redeem us? Do we believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation? No. Though. Do we believe that the word that the Bible is the word of God? Do we believe that it is inerrant? Do we believe that it is inspired by him? Those are fighting words. Right? Those are the kind of dividing things. Not on our political views. Not on our opinions on, you know, fitness or television or blah 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 blah. Use fill it in, right? And so often we take the things that are really not all that important and we elevate them to the highest importance and that's where we fall into the trap of just absolutely demeaning each other. But the true worshiper does not change. He is consistent and he is consistently guided by the word of God. The true worshiper does not put out his money at interest. He's not greedy. He's content with what he has and what God has given, and he's honorable in the way he lives that. I think that kind of speaks for itself. We, mm, we like what we got. We like our money. 
my pastor used to say, you don't, have, you don't need to have the mindset of get all you can, can all you get, sit on the lid and we'll let the world go to hell. But that's pretty much the mentality that most of us carry. Um, true worshiper does not take a bribe against the innocent. Again, this is about holiness. It's about holiness that leads to lives that consistently worships God. Is it going to have flaws? Of course. You're going to have chinks in the chain, but that reminds me. So, again, I was reading Spurgeon's deal, and he was talking about sin. Because the temptation is to, to hear verses like this, to hear a message like this, and to begin to think of other people, right? Man, I wish someone would have been here today. I hope they're listening. But this is about analyzing our own hearts. Because if we're automatically thinking about everybody else, we're missing the point, right? This is about us. This is about analyzing how am I, where, where am I? How do I see God? How, how does God see me? And we begin to justify our sin. And Spurgeon, he was talking about how in, in, in relation to sin, we, we think of it like on a chain. But you know, with a chain, regardless of what link you break, if you break a link, you've broken the chain. Right? It doesn't, doesn't matter which, which link you break, you know? So say I hook Jordan's truck, or yeah, maybe let's do it the other way. If Jordan hooks my truck up, and Jordan's pulling my truck down a highway with a chain, and a link breaks close to Jordan's truck, what's going to happen? My truck's not going to be pulled anymore, and it's probably going to wreck. Well, and maybe in theory you could say, but now if, it, if the link was closer to my truck, maybe that wouldn't happen. But that's not the case. It doesn't matter where the link's at. The chain is still broken. Sin is sin. So it doesn't matter as you're working through this list if you're like, man, I got this one, but I'm struggling here. But man, so-and-so got this, 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 and this. That doesn't matter a bit. The truth is, is that we all sin. Sometimes I just I look at the way that um, God kind of orchestrates scripture and the wisdom there. Is, it, and, and there's sometimes almost humor to the way he does things. God gave the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel as grace to them. And, and when you come in contact with somebody who's, who, who tries to bucket the idea of whether or not they're a sinner, just... It doesn't take far. Just start with first commandment. Shall have no other gods before me. Guess how many of us passed that one? None. We, not, we might not be worshiping Buddha. Or we might not be worshiping Muhammad. But there are many things that we put above Christ every day. Whether it's our job, our money, our family. All of these speak to holiness. 
holy, for the Lord your God is holy. So, do our lives, does my life, paint a picture of one striving for holiness? Or is it simply a facade? That if somebody could just peel that top layer Let's be honest for a minute. How many of us would show up to church on Sunday morning if we could see directly into the hearts and spirits of everyone here? Probably not many of us because we don't want people to see what's going on in here. Are our lives a true picture of holiness or simply a facade? Listen to what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. Holiness is not something to be received in a meeting. It is a life to be lived in detail. So it's not about Sunday morning. It's about all day, every day, for the entirety of your life. Am I living under the grace of God, trusting in the work of Jesus, and is that changing me? Because it's one thing to say you trust in Jesus, but do you actually trust in Jesus? Because the things that you do, the things that you say, the things that you're a part of, the way you do business, the way you carry yourself, all of those are a reflection of what you actually believe. It's a life to be lived in detail. And I think that speaks to this psalm, too, because we just walk through a lot of detail. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Live a life that would bring God the most glory. And in that, you find the most joy. Because at the end of the day, that's what we all want, right? We all want to be happy. We all want to be joyful and joyous. Listen to this quote from Richard Sibbs, an old Puritan. He says, those that look to be happy must first look to be holy. And again, this is not just Sunday. This is every day. All of life. We're not getting out of here on time. Because now we move to the promise. The end of verse 5, it says, He who does these things shall never be moved. The true worshiper attempts to live a life of holiness because his hope is in Jesus. That's the kicker, right? Because you can sit here and we can listen to all these characteristics and we can go ahead and make a list of the things we need to work on and the things we need to change and the way that we need to adjust our lives. But if we're doing it just for the sake of checking those lines and doing it correctly, we've missed the whole thing. The only way to do this and the only way this should be done and can be done is to trust in our hope of Jesus. 
It's His work on the cross that makes redemption possible, not yours. Because last time I checked, wasn't none of us on that cross. Our sins were on that cross in Jesus, but you weren't dying to save yourself. I wasn't dying to save myself. Christ died to save me. That's why he can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through But the true worshiper attempts to live a life of holiness because his hope is in Jesus above all things. Is Jesus the only thing that you're striving for? Again, Psalm 1 says that he is like a tree planted by streams of water. ever filled by the fountains of Christ. Never move because the roots that are full of that nourishment from God cannot be shaken. So trust in the Lord. Trust in the work of Jesus. And as the storms of life rage, He, that is the person who is truly worshiping will hold fast and he will stand firm as he remembers to be still and know that I am God, that God is God. He is holy, he is righteous, he is just, he is sovereign, he is majestic, he is magnificent, he is all-knowing. He is, period. And even though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea and all the nations rage and, and everything seems to be falling apart, the Lord speaks and everything melts. Why? Because he's holy, holy, holy. And so the true worshiper rests in the holiness of God. He rests in the goodness of God. He rests in the power and the might and the goodness and the graciousness and the justice of God. And he is, as the end of verse 5 says, the one who does all these things shall never be moved. So I want to ask you, is your hope in Jesus? Is your ultimate hope in Jesus? Is He your refuge? Is He where you go in times of trouble? Are you trusting Jesus daily as you walk or attempt to walk in holiness? Because you can try to walk in holiness, but if you're not doing so by trusting Jesus to lead you in that, you're going to fail. Right? I mean, let's just admit it. We can't do it without Him. It's impossible. <coughs> we have to trust in the Lord. So is the life we're living a picture of holiness or is it simply an illusion? Every week, me and the girls watch um, America's Got Talent. Sophie loves the magicians and she's always talking about magic and she'll be like, oh, I thought you said magic wasn't real. And I was like, it's just an illusion, baby. I don't know how he's doing it. but he... And so she'll ask me a million questions that I can't answer. And at the end of the day, I'm just like, it's a trick. That's why it's called a magic trick because it tricks you, right? I don't know how he did that. He just did it. But is that what our lives look like? 
Are we truly Christians? Are we truly confessed? Have we truly confessed our sins to Christ? Or are we simply playing games? Only two people in this room know your heart. You and him. You might have all of us fooled. Probably not hard to do. But you do not have the king of glory fooled. So what is a true worshiper? Are you a true worshiper? Let's pray. Father, may you search our hearts this morning and may we be driven to search our hearts. Are we truly able and willing to confess that Jesus is Lord over all? God, we ask that you move in us. We ask that you speak into us the truth of your word. And may we be receptive. May we turn to you. May we repent of the unconfessed sin, of pride, of anger, being unloving. And may we be resting in the hope of Jesus.